Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Tammy Chatty. She is the Managing Director for South Africa for WebHelp. WebHelp is a surprisingly big BPO. It's a bit of a sleeping giant, over 120,000 employees crossing 55 countries. That is just an incredible logistical feat, if nothing else. Tammy is, as I mentioned, the Managing Director for South Africa. She oversees 6,000 staff in that country. And of course, as we all know by now, South Africa is a booming destination for outsourcing, seeing incredible year-on-year -year growth rates. And uh, Tammy and the industry are doing their best to help continue that trend. Uh, so we discuss web help, we discuss South Africa, we discuss impact sourcing and the community around South Africa. Uh, really good conversation and I certainly learnt a lot. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Tammy, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have another uh, guest from South Africa to highlight the uh, incredible work that's happening there in South Africa. So welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, Derek. I'm very well, thank you, and very happy to be on your show. And uh, why don't we start by, you know, paint a picture of South African outsourcing industry for us. What is the, what is the opportunity there? What is the talent like there? So the sector is just over 20 years old, predominantly based in the Western Cape. Uh, most international um, people would know Cape Town. Um, so it's got a, a bit of a history for about 20 years or so just over and um, not as old as some of our competitor countries like India and uh, the Philippines. 
Uh, they've got at least 50 years on us. So we're still relatively new. It's an extremely fast growing sector in South Africa at the moment. Loads of opportunities coming into the country. It's a very exciting space to be. Um, and it also is aligned with one of our government initiatives because the sector has the potential to absorb um, young unemployed people in the country and our youth unemployment rate at the moment is around 70% since COVID. Um, Gosh. Mm -hmm. so, so consequently, obviously, uh, a sector that is getting a lot of traction, a lot of support from government um, is definitely amongst the um, top end sectors that is being focused on. And I suppose the government you know, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but the government has focused on outsourcing because regardless of the domestic economy, regardless of the sort of domestic momentum, uh, if you have people that are able to work and they can tap into the global economy through the sort of outsourcing interface, uh, then they can immediately be productive and, and start earning good salaries. You know, is, it, is it sort of, um, how long has it been on the government's agenda, would you say? say that probably the last seven years it's definitely moved higher up on the government agenda um, I think predominantly because of the opportunity to employ people um, I mean before COVID we had a 50% youth unemployment uh, rate and we we have significant structural issues within the country that um, I think exacerbates the challenges that we have with youth unemployment and then, as you say, with the state of the economy as it is, our our ability just within the our own South African economy, we don't have the ability to absorb young unemployed people because our growth is significantly low at the moment and has been for a little while. So with this, uh, the opportunity is to be able to you know bring in offshore work into South Africa, create jobs at scale. Um, and very rapidly. What it does require, though, is support from government for things like infrastructure, upskilling programs, um, location, ability, IT infrastructure, etc. And so I think over the last seven years, there's definitely been um, strong influence from many stakeholders in the sector and outside of the sector, um, organizations that are concerned about un unemployment, etc., that have lobbied together to, you know, rally around the things that are needed for the sector. And I think that that has definitely stood us in good stead. So what we've seen during COVID, for instance, is significant growth across the sector. So while the Philippines and India were having challenges with keeping their operations open in South Africa, where uh, were very instrumental in lobbying all of the stakeholders together to go to government and ask to have the sector classified as an essential service. And getting that classification meant that the sector could remain open and all of those young people that are currently employed in the sector could continue to be employed through COVID. Um, that, I think, was a game changer for South Africa. As a result of that, we managed to demonstrate resilience in the country, garnering more government support, more stakeholder support for the sector. And what we're starting to see now is a significant influx of uh, potential clients, new clients wanting to come into South Africa. And that's not just at Webop, that's across the board. All of the other operators are talking about the same thing. Um, about a week and a half ago, we held a conference um, 
that the industry body for the sector in South Africa had organized for a couple of days. And all of the operators at that conference were talking about the opportunities that are coming into South Africa and our ability to, um, well, scale for those opportunities. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? I, I see a wave of interest for emerging economies to join this incredible economic opportunity of outsourcing. And, you know, we are, our organization is regularly contacted. You know, we've had conversations with Ethiopia and Egypt and uh, Uzbekistan and the Balkans and Fiji about um, boosting their industry as well. And I'm based in the Philippines. And of course, there's incredible government support for the industry here. But there is a bit of a sense of, you know, the industry is mature now and it's it's sort of big enough to stand on its own two feet and there's other competing interests. And so the government is starting to sort of maybe lean on the industry a little bit instead of actually really supporting the industry and growing it. And there's so many more potential entrants now and so many more people that see this incredible opportunity to, to join the, the global workforce. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how it plays out. And in terms of the, the talent, the staff in South Africa, what is their awareness of the outsourcing opportunity? Are call centers seen as sort of, you know, an okay job to put up with, or is it seen as a, a really aspirational job and career? So I think that there are mixed opportunities at the advisor level or the contact center agent level, I would not say that it is the, like I wouldn't consider it to be a aspirational job. It is an entry level job. It's considered to be an entry level job, but it's at least on the highest spectrum of entry level jobs. So in South Africa, the other competing entry level job that would, um, that has opportunities at scale would be retail and hospitality type of opportunities. And those pay a slightly lower salary range than our entry-level um, advisor roles. And so in the scheme of entry-level roles, I would say that um, uh, the contact center advisor role would definitely be on the higher end of that. From a management, team leader, etc. perspective, they are most certainly aspirational roles. Because once you get to at least even the team leader level, which is also still at some level of scale, um, those roles play significantly more. And there are uh, many, many opportunities in um, uh, for, for that. I mean, with the growth in the sector that we're seeing at the moment, there are more and more and more team leader roles uh, available. There are more operations manager roles available. There are more, well, many other leadership roles available. Uh, in the country. And so I would definitely say that from team leader role onwards, uh, those salaries are compatible with some other professional roles. Mm. And from it's, there it's, on, it's most certainly aspirational. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's, it's everyone needs to get a foot on the bottom rung of the ladder. And whether that's the individual, the agent, or the company, the outsourcing firm, or even the, the industry and the country, it's all about sort of getting the the foot on the bottom rung of the ladder and then people and businesses can upskill and you climb that value ladder don't you and, and skill yeah. ladder, uh, and it's Absolutely. progressing yeah Derek, you're raising a very important point that i do need to make though um the, the one is to get your foot in the door because there are career progression opportunities within the sector 
The other thing, the other important point to note is that this is a sector that doesn't require any qualification higher than schooling education. Mm. So completing what we call the highest schooling level in South Africa being metric, once you've completed that, you, you automatically qualify. The, the third, um, I think, um, uh, opportunity that makes these roles attractive in, in our economy is that the sector provides the skilling required for the role. So, so there are skilling opportunities, there's an employment opportunity that's sustainable with tradition um, capability. And I think that that makes it attractive even at the entry level. As and that's very say, valuable, isn't it? You know, yeah. in, in environments where maybe the education system is, is faltering, if the employers can provide on-job education and upskilling, almost like an apprenticeship model, it, it's very valuable, isn't it? Very valuable to the individuals and the society generally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, Tammy, tell us about WebHelp. It's a bit of a uh, sleeping giant, I, I think. It, it's a huge company, international company. Give us the, the headline numbers on WebHelp. Yes, yeah, so we are, as you say, an international company. We operate, uh, it's French-owned, started out by two founders, one of whom is the current group CEO. Um, started out about 20 years ago. Uh, we employ just over 120,000 people internationally, uh, operating in just over 50 countries and in about 150 cities across the world. That's uh, sort of the scale of the organization. We, uh, that's the, the BPO bit of the organization. Then there is a partner organization called Go Beyond, which is a consulting arm of the organization. And what was the origin? I mean, it's 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 twenty years old, but having web in the name must must sort of signify that it has tech origins, or has or has the name recently changed? Uh, no, the name hasn't recently changed. I think it did have tech origin, but I I'm not um, familiar with uh, what the origin of the actual name is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fascinating, and. What does WebHelp do? They, they're predominantly call center. Um, what, what lines of business do they mainly focus on? Yeah, so we are predominantly um, an outsourcer. We uh, do contact center work, but over an array of different services. Um, so anything from customer service. In South Africa, our predominant focus is uh, customer service. We do uh, financial services, we do logistics, we do, um, we do technical support, we do, I mean, there's a, a wide variety of services that we offer, content moderation for like social media type of accounts, etc. cetera. Um, there's an emerging set of new skills that is coming up, uh, you know, with social media, for example, uh, gaining as much traction in the world as it has over the last two decades or so. We are seeing that content moderation has become a new skill that is required in the outsourcing world. That's just to vet the, you know, the content that is going on to social media platforms. So these are a wide variety. I mean, we have um, one account where we do the CEO complaints line. Um, so all emails, basically the CEO's uh, inbox. <laughs> We, we literally are managing a CEO's inbox and addressing all the complaints that are coming in there or compliments or 
any letters of being able to how many how many complaints is this ceo getting well, for the size of business that that particular account has, quite a significant amount. Not necessarily always complaints. Sometimes it's just information. Sometimes people mm. are letting the CEO know what they can do better, you know, or just giving them a compliment, telling them about what they've done well. It's incredible logistics, all of this, isn't it? You know, as you, as you say, like with, with a big company, just even sort of the messages to a CEO can be absolutely overwhelming. And the logistics, you know, I, I can assume with web help are just phenomenal as well. You have over 120,000 employees spread across, what, 55 countries, you know, and then you have to deal with, with all of those people across all of those jurisdictions. It's, it's incredible. It, it's the size of a city, and it's your private organization. It's, it's phenomenal sort of logistics, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It is absolutely incredible. I mean, um, just uh, as a sidebar, you know, when I think of going on holiday these days, I think about, oh, where do we have an office? Because maybe I could just pop in there and have a look at it and just see how we run operations in different countries or different cities. Yeah. Do you know what the... Like so many countries, that's an incredible footprint, isn't it? And I would imagine at some point it gets really hard to manage all of the uh, all of the locations. Um, do you know, was there any strategy b- behind so many countries or is it just to sort of corner the market in terms of any kind of skill set, any sort of supply requirement there is? Uh, no, so I think it was a very strategic decision. Um, I think firstly, we, we do want to grow to become one of the biggest outsourcers in the world. Um, there are a number of really big outsourcers in the world. We definitely want to continue to grow. And part of the strategy was around acquisition. So we've acquired many businesses in different countries as well as opened new businesses in new locations that we thought would be uh, great opportunities for expanding our footprint from an outsourcing perspective. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. I mean, one of the other benefits of doing that is that we have many clients that operate globally who require different language skill sets. Mm. And uh, even with the different language skill sets, uh, you know, being able to operate in different countries gives us the ability to naturally do that and to offer different languages from anywhere in the world. And do you find with 55 countries, it's often a client requirement that they want to, they want staff in, I don't know, X, Y, Z countries or, and how do you work on the distribution of sort of staffing requirements? If, if they have a hundred staff in South Africa, are they sort of, I don't know, um, uh, sort of risk distributing to two or three other countries as well? Or is it just where the client lands that that is where they are serviced? So, you know, we we actually have the ability now to be able to give the client an option based on what they tell us their needs are and suggest where we think they should operate from. Obviously, we take into consideration risk mitigation and distribution of that risk across multiple locations where we are able to offer that service. So I think the benefit of having such a large footprint and having multiple Uh, skill sets across different locations gives us the opportunity to say to a client, well, if this is what you need, here's the locations that we think we'd best be able to service your needs from. Yeah, Um, it's fascinating, isn't it? And do you, obviously you notice, you know, there are different proficiencies from different countries. There are obviously 
you know, language attributes, time zone attributes. And do you have almost like a menu, like if you want sort of techies or, you know, science or oh, STEM, yeah, then yeah, you go yeah, to absolutely. XYZ countries? Like, it's, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. So the way that WebHop is structured at the moment is generally around like different uh, either languages or skill sets, etc. So we form regions that are not necessarily geographical regions, but regions that are aligned around uh, different capability. Uh, so, for example, English speaking would be uh, predominantly South Africa, India, the UK <laughs> forms a region because we offer English language, but we also offer other languages within this region. But predominantly, we offer written and spoken um, English. Uh, we, we also offer digital English, so chat, etc., out of India more than we, we offer more voice out of South Africa. So there's a number of multiple multipliers and ways that it can be cut and diced, etc. But largely we offer it um, based on the abilities and the skills. Um, but and then and then while I say that from a country perspective, even within country, I see differences between the different locations that we operate in in South Africa. So I see a slightly different skill set in our Cape Town office uh, in comparison to our Johannesburg office and our Durban office, as well as our Pretoria office. So there are multiple different skill sets that I see even within country. It's incredible, isn't it? It's, an, it, it's a deep mosaic of, of skills and capabilities and languages and time zones. And, uh, and it, it's amazing to see it all knitted together within yep. one organization you know like ultimately i think the world is moving towards one kind of global economy one workforce um and maybe web help is is a sort of sort of uh, looking glass into the future of of how global economies will really work and knit together it's fascinating isn't it mm -hmm. yeah it is incredibly okay. fascinating it's uh it's a very multi-dimensional if i can use that word um yeah yeah and, and even, like what is the if it's it's a french company i like what is the uh core language is it is it english it's or english french? it is english incredible yeah yeah. And then there's an added dimension of, you know, since COVID, we've had lots of work from home strategies. So the contact center world is starting to work from, um, mm. work from just about anywhere now. I mean, you could service a client from anywhere in the world, which is the basic concept behind outsourcing, except that now you can do it from home and you can do it from home mm. anywhere in the world. So, um, yeah, that's that's also you know a new way of looking at things that we're starting to um, work with and and look for opportunities around and you know think about how do we satisfy our people's needs more uh, from a lifestyle perspective, uh, flexible working hours, working from home, working from office, hybrid working, or hybrid working models, working from anywhere in the world, etc. It's it's a big shift, isn't it? Because I, I think sort of 20 years ago when, when you were established, a lot of the value proposition of these outsourcing um, players was that you had the infrastructure and 20 years ago, the infrastructure was a lot heavier. It was servers and it was offices and it was big computers. Um, and part of the value proposition was that you had all of that set up and you had the um, you know electricity and telecommunications reliable and 
all of that stuff. And almost all of that now is table stakes, isn't it? And the work can be done from a computer, from anyone sitting in their home in, in a yeah. lot of situations. And yeah. so how, how have you as a company, um, uh, you know, negotiated that and, and navigated that? Because there's a lot of demand. I think employers are almost ambivalent, but a lot of the staff are now demanding home-based opportunities. You know, how have you sort of navigated yeah, that? Yeah, that's a healthy, it's an, it's an interesting question that you asked. There's a healthy tension, I think, uh, post-COVID that exists between what the client, who is the outsourcing client, wants uh, versus what the staff member wants. So I think when COVID happened, we had no choice but to transition people into home working environments in order to continue to operate because we had to meet uh, social distancing requirements within the office environment. So we had a portion of the people continuing to work in our office environment because they did not have the infrastructure at home or the uh, IT capability at home or a quiet space to work from, etc. So they had no option but to work from the office. And then we had a portion of staff that were able to work from home because they had a room that they could work in, good infrastructure, fiber capability, etc. And we could supply them with the equipment to work from home. So we transitioned a, a portion of our staff, uh, between 30 to 40 percent of our staff, to work from home. Post COVID, though, we're seeing that many of our clients are saying, well, we want everybody to come back into the office. And we're challenging that at the moment and saying, well, is that really necessary? And what are the reasons that we need to do this? And is there a happy medium that we can find? Because we are seeing that more than anything, the staff who have gotten accustomed to working from home are now saying, well, I quite like this. I don't want to have to come back into the office. I was performing while I was working at home. So why do you need me to come back into the office? And, and employers or, or clients are saying, but we lose a bit of our culture by doing that. We lose touch with our people by having people working from home. We, we want to see people when we have, I mean, this last week in the retail part of the sector was um, the one of the biggest weeks in the year. So it was both Black Friday and Cyber Monday all over one weekend. And the build up to that is quite significant as well as mm. the drop off from that over a couple of days. So there's normally a buzz in the office, you know, there's competitions being run, there's excitement on the floor, etc. Now, when you've got your workforce working from home, you can't have any of that. And so there's a healthy tension now between those two, you know, we're, we're trying to find the happy medium. I'm not sure that we've found it yet. I think we're certainly starting to agree that support roles can definitely continue to work from home. But from an operational perspective where we have advisors, et cetera, what percentage of people is the right amount? Do we have a hybrid model? Like how do we how do we fill that? It's a tough question, isn't it? Because I, I sometimes wonder, you know, what might be uh, favorable for the staff or team in the short term is is maybe not best for the long term evolution of, you know, professional professional people. <laughs> you know, it's it's sort of easy and fun to stay at home and work from your bed, but, um, you know, it might not sort of build you into a, a, a kind of better person um, over the longevity of your career. It's, it's, it's a, it's going to be a funny inflection point, isn't it, for the, yep. for the industry, well, for, for the global workforce. Yeah, absolutely agree. And would you, 
the thing with call centers is, you know, all the productivity is so sort of objectively measured, isn't it, and monitored. And how have you seen productivity levels generally? Are people performing as well or better? So we have, um, we, we've had uh, valleys and troughs, I think, in terms of performance. We found that our top performers who perform well in office perform equally well when they're at home. We find that new recruits struggle when they have to go st- straight after training home. Uh, so we're, we're sort of adapting what we're doing. We're still learning as we go, but we are certainly seeing that those that are more proficient at doing the job and have a bit of experience behind them perform better when they are on their own at home than those who um, are new to the role. Mm -hmm. I I think that that's the one side of it. The other side of it is depending on the complexity of the account and the personality of the person. Some people love working in teams. Others are quite happy to work on their own at home. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Gosh, it's hard to navigate that. And then security as well. Now, obviously, high security accounts need to be within an office. But do you think there will be a time where, you know, as technology advances and the processes improve, where you think that like everything will be able to be done securely from a home environment? Or do you think that people need to come to an office for the higher security things? Yeah, I think that largely we are not there yet. I think that... Um... We're testing this idea of security uh, systems from home that are secure, et cetera, on very small accounts where where I think our clients are more reluctant to test a work-from-home scenario where we're at scale. So we're we're still seeing that the requirement for accounts that have high levels of security is office-bound or office-based rather than home-based. Yeah. Fascinating. Gosh, this will be an interesting one to watch over the next five, 10 years. And so Tammy, outsourcing can be controversial. You know, a lot of people see outsourcing as as sort of, um, you know, poor conditions and underpaying people and unfair wages, whereas often people in the outsourcing industry see it as incredible opportunity. And it's almost nation building, building the economy, giving people opportunities, economic opportunities. Um, I know that WebHelp is involved in impact sourcing within the South African community. So how do you you see this, again, another tension between, you know, what sort of outsiders might perceive as unfair treatment versus the outsourcing industry, which is actually providing incredible opportunities? Yeah, so I think there are most certainly, you know, the old chop shops, they certainly do still exist. And I think that that's where the sector gets this bad rep from, Um, you know, the underpaying people, the exploitation of people, the working environment being, you know, quite densely populated, etc. I think that that most certainly still exists. Um, I think that many of the bigger outsourcers, and certainly us as WebHelp, we are not in that space at all. We have amazing working conditions uh, for our people. I mean, just to give you an idea, our desk sizes is 1.2 meters apart. So, so every agent has a 1.2 meter by 800, uh, you know, desk size, which is significant if you compare to many of the other. 
uh, operators that are out there. We have very spacious offices, beautifully furnished and nicely done with coaching pods, et cetera, et cetera. So first, I mean, first tick is around the working environment itself. Our salaries are highly competitive and certainly not at the lowest end of the entry-level salaries. We provide many benefits for our people. Um, we are providing significant benefits in terms of transport, medical aid, um, you know, health benefits, etc. And then on the, um, and then I mean, we've already spoken about career pathing and progression within the organization at Web Health, um, and I can speak for South Africa here specifically. We grow all of our own talent. Um, so 90% of our team leaders come from our agent population. They basically get groomed and get put onto development programs to become team leaders. And then from team leaders, they become operations managers. And from so we have a proper progression path for all of our people. Um, from an impact sourcing perspective and talking about impact and, and communities, our objective as an organization is to make an impact in the communities that we operate in. And the first one is, a, is around creating jobs. So whenever we have any new jobs, we um, go to the communities that uh, you know people are most uh, affected in and most excluded from the formal economy. We employ people from there, we upskill them, we train them, we give them work readiness skills and we place them into employment, into full-time employment within our organization. And then they start in the career path of getting groomed, et cetera. The working conditions that they come into are amazing working conditions that you would see in any other corporate organization globally. Um, so our objective, uh, we used to do about 15 to 20% of impact sourcing work, which means which meant that we were taking people that were really unskilled and putting them through skilling programs and putting them into opportunities. We're now trying to shift that to about 90%, where we're going to be taking all our entry-level people uh, into skilling programs and then placing them into employment. Over and above that, we support a number of different school initiatives with leadership school skills, math skills, etc. Um, we uh, have funded a number of different social projects. Um, there's a project called Blossom, which is about uh, you know starting up a small business within a community to uh, to stop period poverty. So it's a little business that uh, makes pads and distributes that within the community and we're supporting that kind of project and we'll probably expand that further. Uh, it's now the second year that it's running and it's already you know, made significant inroads in uh, the communities that it's operating in. Mm. So that's just to give you a little bit of a flavor of some of the work that we're doing in community and how we believe that from a business perspective, we're also making impact. It's incredible, isn't it? And I, I think it, it it's a win-win. And you know, it's it's I'm a sort of hearty capitalist, but I think it, it shows the incredible effect of capitalism done well when everyone is benefiting from this. And you see that in the Philippines, in that you know this industry is twenty or thirty years old, and it started with basic call center functions, but now it's going right up the skill and capability ladder, and they're running out of good capable staff and then so the industry is you know working with the government to 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 train and get people educated and um, build more technical colleges and universities and it's incredible to see over the generations how it all just evolves and then you have uh 
you know, corporate, you have executive talent then that has been in the industry 20, 30 years and they're bringing in the sort of younger kids and um, it's this evolution, isn't it? And it's uh, just so enheartening. It's just so incredible to see when you see it on the ground. Uh, and it's, it's just such a shame that uh, people don't recognize it as a, as a positive force, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I agree. What is the growth like in South Africa for the outsourcing industry then? Is it, um, is it fast growing? Is the industry sort of struggling to find the staff it needs? Or, you know, is it, is it not at that point yet? There's, there's a lot of staff to, to go around still. So at the entry level, there's plenty of staff available because of our unemployment rate. Um, uh, one of the reasons that we grow our own leaders is because the rest of the talent is uh, pretty scarce because the sector is growing as fast as it is. I mean, there's significant growth. We're talking about 28% year-on-year kind of growth in the sector. Wow. Um, the, you know, we, each of us, each of the operators have to build our own skills pools from team leader upwards. So at that level, it becomes scarce. We do, however, have a number of captive operators within country. So many of the insurance houses, as well as the big banks, have their own internal contact centers and um, people that are employed in that uh, part of the sector tend to look for opportunities in the outsource side. Yeah, and so we do see a lot of cross-pollination between captive and um, the outsourced world. Got it. And do you see, do you see a lot of um, general industry starting to, you know, professionals and things like that enter the, the higher echelons of the call center industry, or is it still fairly uh, autonomous at the moment? It's still largely autonomous, I would say, but there is a small trickle now. I think that people are starting to notice that the sector is established. Um, and recognized. We are also winning many awards, etc. I mean, salaries are highly competitive with the corporate market. If not, if our sector is not paying more because of the competitive nature of finding, um, you know, talent within the sector for the growth that we're seeing. So we are starting to see an emergence of professionals from other sectors starting to look into the sector for opportunities. Incredible. Well, Tammy, thank you. Personally, I come from the banking sector for 20 years, and then I was in youth unemployment for seven years, and I've just joined the sector a year ago. Oh, gosh. It's incredible, isn't it? Winding careers, and you, you would never sort of plot that going forwards, but looking back, it all sort of fits in and makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's incredible. And... Um, so, Tammy, thank you so much. Incredible insights into South Africa and the booming industry there. And, of course, web help and what you're doing for the community as well with your impact sourcing. So, uh, wonderful, wonderful journey and great conversation. Tammy, thank you so much. If anyone wants to learn more about web help or get in contact, how can they do that? Uh, they can contact us through our website, which is just webhelp.com. Um, and uh, if you want to contact me personally, then uh, on LinkedIn would be good. Uh, just look up Tammy Chetty and you'll see my profile come up at WebHelp. Tammy, thank you so much. Big pleasure. Thank you, Derek, for having me. That was Tammy Chetty of WebHelp. 
If you want any of the show notes, as always, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, just send us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.